Welcome to Funny, They Don't Look Jewish, where Judaism appears in the panels. Our purpose is to find characters, stories, and issues of comics that explore explicitly Jewish content. I'm Brandon Bernstein. And I'm Henry Bernstein. No No relation. relation. Well, hey, Henry. (laughs) Hey, Brandon. How have you been? I've been good. I was thinking, you know, should we pretend we haven't talked to each other all summer and this is the first time, you know, after we got back from camp and, you know, or, hey, yeah, or should we just, <laughs> or should we just be, you know, uh, talk about our unintended uh, hiatus that we took? I don't know what you're talking about. I've been at Machina Yehuda and we have not spoken to each other <laughs> in months. <laughs> yeah, no, it was an unintended consequence in which our friendship stayed alive, even though the podcast uh, uh, went to sleep for a little bit. Yeah, it was, it was a nice little summer off. Um, the truth is we've been cooking up something basically since February or, or March that, uh, has come to fruition right now. So here we are. All right, Henry, what character do we have in mind? Who have we been cooking up a nice little kugel for? You're not going to believe it, but we've been cooking up someone named Adam Smasher or Nuclon. And I just want to make sure, Henry, when you say Adam Smasher, you're talking a T-O-M, not like the first man who has like a vengeance against the book of Genesis and he is the Adam Smasher. Yeah, he doesn't like anyone named Adam. Yeah, we're talking about Albert Rothstein. So uh, if you haven't guessed already, he's Jewish. Hey, the name gave it away. <laughs> Albert Rothstein's first appearance was in the All-Star Squadron, number 25, September 1983, and he was created by Roy Thomas and Jerry Ordway. He is a member of the Infinity Inc. Who are the Infinity Inc., you say? They're sort of like the teen titans of the Justice Society of America, or not so much like the sidekicks of the JSA, but the children of, and they were a precursor to what Jeff Johns did later with the JSA and DC Comics in the early 2000s um, by creating this sort of next generations of Justice Society, Justice Society of America, of course, being the first ever super team in the 1940s to combat Hitler, etc. Nice. Yeah. So we have this like team of uh, next generation heroes, really, who are either inheriting sort of powers or responsibility from that old team. It's like really cool to see legacy characters in this different way. And as we were doing research, we actually found DC once published this magazine called Alter Ego. And in the spring 1999 edition of said magazine, there's an article by none other than Infinity Inc. creator and Nucleon creator Roy Thomas, um, with Jerry Ordway providing some information and sort of helping out. And Roy Thomas basically reveals that Albert Rothstein, well, I'll just dive into a quote, actually. So Roy Thomas writes, Cyclotron, Dr. Terry Curtis, who had been a supporting character in a very early Superman ultra-humanite story, thus became the grandpa of Albert Rothstein, whom Dan and I named after science fiction comics fan and friend Alan Rothstein out in L.A. We thought at high time comic books had an overtly Jewish superhero. Maybe we were the first with that bit. Maybe we weren't. We didn't know and didn't much care. Um, so this great image of Roy Thomas kind of like, yeah, what cool, like devil may care comic book writers we were. We didn't care. We were just going to write, man. We were going to write a Jewish. Ca- I, I don't know. But obviously we're thankful for the representation. Yeah, it's it's funny. His attitude of it was like, 
sort of, you know, we were like Stan and Jack back in the sixties, you know, kicking down doors. Yeah. And no one cared, you know, like, and uh, the way he wrote it, I feel like maybe he would say, I created the first Jewish superhero. And probably others were like, well, actually, technically Colossal Boy is from 1980 and Shadowcat is from 1980. And you didn't make this guy till 1983. And he was like, we didn't know. And we didn't care. We were just <laughs> making them. Yes. But we definitely appreciate the representation and thank you roy thomas and jerry ordway yes yes and actually while adam smasher uh, or nuclon is probably one of the more obscure characters that we are covering that you listeners might be like who in the world is this guy um in a few months or a year or i don't know how long you hopefully won't be saying that because he's been announced as a character that's going to appear in the black adam movie that is black adam the dc movie starring dwayne the rock johnson um as well as noah centineo as adam smasher so we're really excited the character is going to get some exposure we're really disappointed that noah um while seeming like a sweet sweet guy is not a jewish actor and so he joins uh the filming of marvel's moon knight with Oscar Isaac cast as that character um, joins the ranks of Jewish superheroes played by actors who are not Jewish, which if you've been listening to us from the beginning, you know, every now and then Henry are always Henry and I are always pushing uh, to get some Jewish actors in there also just to be able to add that little extra something to the characters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, this is something we always follow as a side thing is how are these Jewish superheroes that we know being portrayed on TV and like, you know, of course, Batwoman that first season had made it very clear she is Jewish and, you know, while the show has had its ups and downs and now that actor is gone and the character is sort of gone, it was nice seeing those Jewish moments on TV. So the question is, is Marvel going to do anything with Moon Knight on TV and make, you know, with his Judaism and is DC going to do anything with uh, Albert Rothstein's Judaism? We wait with bated breath. But in the meantime, Henry, what makes this character so unlike others? Or perhaps I should be asking, what makes this episode unlike others? This is the first time since I think we covered Kitty Pride when you had the chance to speak very briefly with Chris Claremont. We actually had an amazing opportunity to sit down and have an interview with Jerry Friggin Ordway. We spoke with Jerry Ordway, the artist who created Adam Smasher. Um, and we got to sit down and have a lengthy talk with him about Nuclon, about Infinity Inc., about comic books in general, about religion, about archaeology. We kind of talked about almost everything. It was a little wild and all over the place. And we're not going to be able to share the entirety of that interview with you, but we're really excited to share some highlights. In this episode, we're going to share some highlights, but I, I just have to geek out a little bit because I was I was a pretty good boy during the interview and not geeking out, Brandon, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think you were very uh, professional, responsive, like very much you were a normal human being, is <laughs> what you. I would say. Yeah. Thank you. But Jerry Ordway is one of my two favorite writer artists of all time. Um, most people know him from his iconic run on Superman when the hero was relaunched in 1986 with John Byrne's Man of Steel. And he was the other writer artist besides John Byrne that was working on the book all the way through the death of Superman and beyond. And just an all-time legend and one of, the, one of the greats. And so to be able to talk to him for what ended up being about two hours was a dream come true. You know, it's like you get to interview your, your 
your hero. So first of all, I just want to thank Jerry Ordway, who was so wonderful spending time with us. And I want to thank um, my podcasting friend, Michael Bailey, who is a Superman podcasting legend who uh, put us together. And when I asked, when I reached out to Mike and asked him if he could hook us up with, with Jerry Ordway, and this was confusing for us because we actually thought Jerry was Jewish. His response to Mike was, I'm happy to talk to them, but is it a problem that I'm not Jewish? We were very confused. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing when we talked to Jerry Ordway was clear this up. For some reason, I remember somebody telling me that Chaikin, Howard Chaikin, was talking about it. Maybe it was around that time. You know, like he said, oh, Ordway is a member of the tribe. And I was like, what tribe? <laughs> I was just, I was, <laughs> I didn't understand what he was talking about. Um, I don't know. I, I've, oh, so we have Howard Chaikin to, to uh... maybe, well, he might've just been seeing what was like, if he saw the list of, of creators, maybe that that's where it came from. But uh... the few days that I thought you were a member of the tribe. I was very excited. So you're welcome back anytime. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask that Howard like induct you in a way and say like honorarily you're yeah, a part of it like now. A special, whatever. He took me to Temple. I, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like maybe I should just grab two other rabbis who love comic books, start following Howard Shaken around, and then uh, anytime he he says that somebody's a member of the tribe, we can offer an instant conversion to all the comic creators that are interested. Yeah, it seems like uh, Jerry wouldn't mind being. A member of the tribe he was he was happy to be uh wrongly uh joined associated with us. yeah yeah, associated. yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're happy to have you with us anytime jerry yeah. <laughs> so jerry was also kind enough uh really incredibly to to walk us through a little bit of the insight into the actual design process for adam smasher and his i guess the only way to put it is unique look mike macklin and i were working on the art for infinity inc we were also doing all-star squadron so we had work together on the uh, character designs and Roy would throw us a name. Basically <clears throat> he would throw out a name and, and uh, for some reason I re remember Nuclon being just because he was going to be kind of uh, connected to the Adam. Roy thought it was probably kind of interesting to have him be the really tall guy instead of the Adam in the comics, the 1940s Adam was a very short guy. So uh, uh, that that I remember that, and I remember when we were doing the uh, first issue that there was some biographical info in like flashback in the first issue of Infinity Inc. I remember like when I was drawing the or you know when I was drawing the book, I was and drawing the character that I tried to to make each of the Infinity Inc. characters distinct, just because when you have a comic with group a group of characters, they're not always in costume, and I always felt like they should be identifiable somehow and you wouldn't want to have two blonde characters and you know what I mean it's like if they're out of costume their comic characters kind of tend to be generic because you're limited with uh you know pen and ink um but I always tried to, to give them some basis some kind of distinctive characteristic and uh I remember with Nuclon was the uh crazy mohawk <laughs> he had like a mohawk so hey when he was out of costume nobody really <laughs> had a trinity problem identifying him and as you can hear from jerry you know just like jack kirby put himself into the thing both physically and personality wise we found out jerry saw himself in nuclon well when i was see when I, I remember at the time when we were when mike and i were doing the art it was a to me 
again, I would always try to be like a method actor as an artist. So I would try to find ways to have the characters have some kind of distinctive thing. Like they would either pose themselves in a certain way or, um, uh, you know, like with, with, with Nuclon, I always felt like he was a little bit awkward. Al was, was the uh, kind of tall, kind of gangly guy who, with, before he had his powers, he was like seven feet tall. So he was somebody that I could kind of relate to because when I was a kid, I had a growth spurt from freshman year to, you know, sophomore year in high school. And uh, I went from like five, nine to six, two. And I just remember that feeling, you know, I remember the feeling of being the small freshman and then suddenly being the, the feeling of being tall, but I was also incredibly skinny and awkward. You know I mean? I just felt that. So that, I always felt like that was a, an aspect to him that, that, uh, would play into his personality as well. Like he wouldn't, he wasn't the, he was the guy who was probably looking for the team. You know, he was looking for friends in that sense. You know, he was looking for that. Whereas the other, these other couple of characters were definitely like the leaders, you know, no preordained. They were going to be the ones that whatever they say, yeah, you know, you go there, sure. You know, you're going to do it. Um, so that's always assumed. I mean, he, he felt like that his, and his backstory was also that I, as I recall, he was raised by his mother, you know, not with a father. And I mean, that was my situation as well. So I, I mean, you, when you're drawing these things, you, you do, you know, you try to put a little of yourself. So I think I probably empathized more and, and, you know, felt more of him in that, in that set, uh, in that situation. Yeah. I mean, it's no wonder we thought he was Jewish. Like I know that all he described is like a tall, gangly, awkward kid. But when I think about that, when I talk to friends of mine, I feel like so many Jewish friends of mine in the United States, at least like we have that experience of being the awkward, maybe not always the tall and gangly one, but like the awkward kid and not being like, you know, when, when Jerry was describing, is it Hank? Yeah. Hank Hall as a, uh, as the jock, I was like, well, that definitely wasn't me. I also would have been that awkward one on the side. And like, there's something, I don't know, there's something Jewish about it. The idea of him being raised by his mother reminded me a little bit for some reason of like Jacob in the tent being Rebecca's favorite, as opposed to his brother Esau, who mm. was like tougher at out in the fields. And uh, I don't know, there was just, it felt like there was some Jewishness hiding behind that. Right. It might not have been explicit, but it was implicit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Well, that's some background, which, again, thank you so, so much, uh, Mr. Ordway, for getting to provide us those insights into the character. And, uh, Henry, I think it's time for us to dive into the actual Jewish content we're going to be looking at. So what are we looking at first? First, we're looking at Infinity, Inc., number 48, March 1988, The Making of a Man, written by Roy Thomas and Dan Thomas, penciled by Vince Argundesi, inked by Tony Desaniga, colored by Liz Barub, lettered by Gene Simak, edited by Roy Thomas. Awesome. So uh, this is after Jerry Ordway is off the book, um, obviously, because it's penciled by Mr. Argundesi. Um, and on page three, we have somewhat explicit, not the, the strongest example of Jewish uh, content, but we have a young Albert Rothstein coming home from a day fighting bullies, and his mother sees that he has a black eye, and she responds, Gavalt fighting again, I see. 
for this, you go to school. So obviously, like the way I read it and the way it's written, there's something about like the syntax of the sentence and the structure itself that is like A, Yiddish and B, really captures sort of that the way that native Yiddish speakers might speak English as they're sort of converting. They like just the like for this, you go to school, yeah. which like it's it's very much in line with the language that I feel like I grew up around and heard people speaking in that way. Yeah, it's like Yoda the way it's like it's a little yoda like like eastern european jews speak english it's right right it's just the the nature of what happens when like verbs and 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 nouns go in different orders in these other languages and so it gets flipped in english yeah well i also love the fact that she said gewalt as opposed to we're we're used to oi gewalt or just oi so i like seeing gewalt get a little bit of love (laughs) on on page nine we go back we talked about him in the bio in the beginning but albert grandfather indeed is Terrence Kurtzberger, um, the villain known as Cyclotron. So nice to see that we get this redemption arc where the grandson of a supervillain becomes a superhero. Um, But our main event, really, Henry, the real reason we're looking at this issue is starting on page 11 in this flashback issue that is showing us Albert Rothstein's youth growing up, that tall gangliness that he has that Jerry Orway talked about. We see his entire bar mitzvah. <laughs> it's amazing that we get this like two page spread of his bar mitzvah, which on the one hand, not a lot, but like, you know, out of a 22 to 24 page comic book for two whole pages to be dedicated to a bar mitzvah, really exciting in 1988. So on this page, we have a very cool picture of this round dome like synagogue with cars in the parking lot. So you get the impression that this is a conservative or reform synagogue because of all the cars being there. Um, Really neat to see it. We see Albert, he's wearing white, he's looking fly. He's got this gorgeous white kippah keeping it real classy. The weird thing is that he is full on holding the scroll that he is reading from. And at first glance, you see that and you're like, no, do not touch the Torah with your hands like that. There's no yod for this boy. He's just holding the scroll on either end. And the other really weird thing, Henry, is, and readers, if you look at the panel behind him, there is a table with just like a collection of a bunch of scrolls. (laughs) There's a pile of scrolls. It is a, a scroll party of just like every book you could imagine, I guess. And I've like, I just, yes, I've seen synagogues for behind the ark. There are multiple Torah scrolls and right. Like sometimes I've even seen like a scroll of Esther somewhere, but I've never just seen a bunch <laughs> of scrolls out waiting as though we don't have books anymore. And it's just like everything we have is a scroll. We'll just pick it up and read from it. Yeah. But at least the candelabra behind him is the correct number of candles for a synagogue on the Sabbath. Yes, definitely. Seven. So it's really great. It's weird to have, like I said, we're going to get resolution to this, but at first we're kind of going, why are there so many scrolls? And Albert is chanting. Yes, amazing. And you listeners may recognize that trope because when I just saw the words written out as Anio so aro lo nu homo henai anochi, because that's how it's transliterated in the book, Henry and I looked at each other and we're like, where is this? What is going on here? This does not sound like any Torah portion that we know. And immense thank you to Henry's brother, Rabbi Arya Bernstein, who reverse transliterated and then discovered for us that this is actually from Isaiah 54, 11, which is a half Torah portion 
from Parshat Re'eh, which is usually occurring right around Rosh Chodesh Elul. So we just recently went past this ourselves less than a month ago. It's the anniversary, and, it was just the anniversary of uh, Albert Rothstein's permit spot. Oh my gosh. And we didn't, I didn't get him anything to celebrate. I feel like an awful <laughs> podcast host. Um, so yeah, so so Henry was chanting for us the full text of uh that is the full verse. We don't get all of it in the comic. And just to translate for everyone who's curious, it's unhappy storm-tossed one, uncomforted. I will lay carbuncles as your building stones and make your foundations of sapphires. Classic uh, Isaiah. The point of the verse, right, is... You are unhappy. You have been ravaged by a storm. You you feel no comfort. But as you know, the fact that it's from Rosh Chodesh Elul means that we are reading these these Haftarah portions in seven weeks that are known as the seven weeks of comfort or the seven mm-hmm. weeks of, of, of consolation um, because it's following Tisha B'Av. So after the saddest day of the year, Tisha B'Av, and before Rosh Hashanah and the High Holidays, we have these seven weeks of comfort or uh, Nechama, and hence we have that word lo Nechama in the text, right? Uh, non-comforted. So right. Isaiah is saying, you are not yet comforted, but don't worry because I'm literally going to make you a building out of sapphire, right? Like the uh-huh. best of riches are coming your way. Good mm-hmm. stuff is coming. So, you know, the problem is people don't get Isaiah's message so much to get lost, but like he is trying to bring comfort. He's just, uh, he speaks too fancy. He, let, uh, he lost them at unhappy. He did. He did. He was he was trying to do the like, now listen, everyone, I know you're unhappy, but then they all like rabble, rabble, rabble. Of course we're unhappy. <laughs> so just to make sure it's explicit for everybody, readers, what this means is he's not actually reading from the Torah right now, but he's actually reading from a half Torah scroll, which I have to admit in my experience I don't think I've ever really seen a Haftarah scroll. I've seen the scrolls of the writings, like a scroll of Esther and, and a, a Megillah Ruth, a scroll of Ruth. But like, Henry, you were saying you have some experience with the Haftarah scroll? Yeah, at Congregation Road Faith Zedek on the south side of Chicago in Hyde Park, uh, where I grew up, I have a very clear memory of there being Haftarah scrolls with covers on them that say the book of the scroll embroidered on them. So it'd say like Yishayahu, Yechezkel, Ezekiel, things like that. And I don't think I ever saw them in use, but I think like that there was an option, like, like at my bar mitzvah, if I had said, you know, I would like to read from one of those scrolls, the Torah, that would have been allowed. They were, they were definitely there. So yeah, it, I, I didn't, I, I mean, who would buy something like that? Like, I mean, is, is a synagogue, history, like, right, I but guess, like, is, yeah. so I guess like before the printing press, when already the, the practice of reading Haftarah was done in synagogues, they would have to read it from a scroll. Right. 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 And also I imagine it would be a lot easier that like, rather than having the entirety of the Tanakh, the entirety of the Hebrew Bible, it's like, okay, I'm going to do some intense study right now of Isaiah and of Yeshayahu. Um, so I'm going to just have the scroll of Isaiah with me that I could pick up and study and then return to, I guess, the local library or synagogue. Right. And I guess like, there's like a few books that like cover a lot of the Parshas, right? Like Isaiah, Ezekiel, things like that. Right. Jeremiah, you know, like there are a lot of 
Haftorah, you know, uh, Parshas from those books. So like, if you're a synagogue that doesn't have enough money to buy a whole, you know, all of them, like you said, but like, if you get Isaiah, then like, okay, you're covered for like a good chunk of Haftorahs. Like you said, you get the major prophets and probably Hosea and Amos, and you're probably pretty covered. Right. <laughs> um, I, like, I, I apologize. I don't have every single prophet that's used <laughs> in Haftorah portions, but I was just thinking like, man, what a flex to go and read it from the scroll because the major difference is, and the reason that Haftarah is like a comparative breeze compared to your Torah reading is that you're reading it out of a humash instead, meaning that you have vowels. But if you're reading from the scroll, there's no vowels. So you're like, you are playing at expert level yeah. uh, when reading the scroll in that way. So again, it's a, it's a serious uh, flex that Albert Rothstein is doing here. I, I could have done it in my bar mitzvah. I knew my Haftarah completely by heart. I, I definitely could have done it had it had I really pushed for for that, but I kind of wanted to like, all right, take a like take a deep breath after reading the whole parsha of the Torah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I'm just saying, yeah. I could have done it. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you and Albert Rothstein are now an elite company in my mind <laughs> <laughs> when it comes. So after he reads from the Haftorah scroll, we see Albert giving his speech. We hear nothing of the content. So, you know, it, at least Albert has done much better than the thing when he had his bar mitzvah and somehow read from the book of Job, I believe, if I'm remembering right, correctly, right. where we were like, that's not a Haftorah. That's weird. But he does say the, the classic line, today I am a man. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, and so with Albert, we only get the thank you section, which like brought me back to all the different bar and bat mitzvahs I've been to in my life with like, I want to thank my younger brother for not annoying me when I practiced. I love you. Right. And like yeah. you always get that. But uh, and we have a very sweet note. Um, from the editor saying thank you to their bar mitzvah advisor, Alan Rothstein, the same Alan Rothstein who inspired the name of Albert Rothstein. So um, really cool that there's just this comic book fan out there who had such an impact on the Jewishness of this character. So yeah, as as we said, Henry, it's, it's, it feels like a lot of bar mitzvahs that I went into, albeit a decade later. My own bar mitzvah was in 1998. This comic came out in 88. So I guess if it should have been earlier, like this is probably a late 70s or early 80s bar mitzvah and yet it felt very much like everyone i went to right. uh, including page 12 when we get to the party and at this party um we see albert actually having a conversation with uh, a few characters you may or may not know and henry's going to help us out here we see him speaking to admiral Derek trevor and joan dale trevor who are apparently the adoptive parents of Hippolyta or Hippolyta, uh, even talking with Jerry Ordway, there's no confirmation on what's the right way to say that. He first um, said Hippolyta, but then he also said Hippolyta. But what we have is Joan Dale Trevor is actually from the JSA time, the former Miss America. Right. And she's not to be confused with Wonder Woman's mother, who is also Hippolyta, or Steve Trevor, Wonder Woman's boyfriend. That was very confusing. It was like they like, oh, we'll just use the name Trevor. I think I think because Hippolyta is Wonder, like right, like it's kind of making this connection. Like Miss America, who is Joan Dale Trevor, has a relationship to Wonder Woman, who dates a guy with the last name Trevor, right. and then her daughter who's right. It's like three generations of wonder woman, like superheroes right. that are all somehow connected to the name. But anyway, um, Joan does, you know, very sweetly as someone not Jewish at the bar mitzvah talking to Albert. And she says to him, 
so much to memorize, but then we wouldn't know if you flubbed your lines, would we? <laughs> to which Albert responds, maybe not, but the rabbi would have, which I don't know why, but that that's was my amazing. favorite line. It's so ever. <laughs> it's just, it's so good. The like, not that I'd expect the rabbi to be like mean or angry about it, but just like, well, a, when people do read from Torah or Hof Torah, um, there's this practice that if they get a word wrong, that you correct them. And even in synagogues where it is the most well-meaning correction, I know a lot of people tend to get really nervous and thrown off and feel awful, even though it's like, it's kind of NBD. It's no big deal. Like, it's just going to be corrected so it can be said properly. It's not a big deal. But anyway, he's him pointing it out is just, uh, I love it. And I also love that sense of like, to someone not Jewish, this might just seem like something that you memorized, but it's not that he memorized it. It's that he memorized and learned how to read in another language that doesn't have vowels and then right. how to do that reading in a way that is chanted, that there's like a rhythm to it and a musicality to it. Like it's not reading Torah or Haftorah with what is called cantillation. So the marks that let you know the notes to make, like that is a real serious skill. It's a difficult thing, but to the outside world, it would just be like, wow, you had to memorize so much. Mm -hmm. So then we get to the actual party, there's dancing, there's opening presents, and we end up having a few more future members of Infinity Inc. Apparently we get Rick Tyler, the son of the Golden Age Hour Man, as well as Hector Hall, the Silver Scarab. Um, and I believe with that last name Hall, Hector Hall is the son of Hawkman, correct? Mm -hmm. So we get Rick Tyler saying, all these bar mitzvah presents, where's a guy sign up to be Jewish anyway? Um, to which Hector tells him, give it a rest, Rick. So <laughs> I loved that little like, man, presents, I want this. <laughs> yeah, it was. It reminded me of uh, Beast Boy wanting the presents in the Hanukkah issue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And for me, not only did it remind me of Beast Boy, but it actually reminded me of real life because I feel like growing up in a non-Jewish area, um, I had a lot of friends who weren't Jewish that came to my bar mitzvah and their reaction was also, this is so cool. I want a party like this. I want presents like this. I remember talking to friends of mine who also had non-Jewish friends in more Jewish areas. So like, imagine a non-Jewish kid who goes to multiple bar mitzvahs and sees this kind of thing. Like I can completely understand somebody looking at it and being like, you get a party, you get presents. Why, why wouldn't I want to have this thing? This was, uh, I, I think, uh, a more well-rounded sort of snapshot of the highlights of what a bar mit going to a bar mitzvah is like more so than the thing. Yeah. Which kind of more felt like going to a, an adult bar mitzvah a person who hadn't sure have one. This felt like, a kid's bar mitzvah. It just happened that all the adults there were were superheroes from the 1940s. Right, 100%. Like this really was superheroes going to a bar mitzvah where we saw a little bit of them doing the ritual and then we saw them, like the moments of congratulations and the awkward talk you have when you're 13 and talking to adults who are telling you what a great job you did and then the like dancing and the partying. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's a wonderful snapshot and it is also the end of the Jewish content from this issue. It's a really good issue. Honestly, it made me want to go and just read the whole run of Infinity. Inc. and see what else is going on. But uh, alas, we have a mission and that mission is covering Jewish content. And so we bid you adieu Infinity Inc. number 48 as we move on uh, to a series of issues. And before we do, we want to be able to make a statement first and, and be able to acknowledge 
We're going to be tackling excerpts from five issues of a 90s series called Justice League America. Um, This is not to be confused with Justice League of America, which has had multiple volumes over time. Um, At this point, it was just called Justice League America. Um, And we need to just be honest about the author and who he was and what he has done. So the author of these five issues we're going to be looking at is Gerard Jones, Um, And in 2016, Gerard Jones was arrested for both possessing and distributing child pornography. He initially pled not guilty uh, and then later changed his plea to guilty. And in 2018, he was given a six-year sentence, meaning that we're about halfway through that sentence and who knows what happens in three years. Um, Henry, you and I unequivocally uh, believe that that makes Gerard Jones a pretty awful person. Yeah, and we denounce Gerard Jones. Ger- this podcast officially denounces Gerard Jones. For yeah, sure. de- denounces Gerard Jones, denounces that possession and distribution of child pornography in the strongest terms, um, and recognizes that this, you know, thank God there's not too much around child pornography that I'm aware of, at least. But um, in the world of comic books, there is a live conversation going on about the separation of art and artist and what happens when comics that were loved at a time turn out to be written by very flawed and sometimes very disturbed individuals who have done awful things. And um, we want to be able to acknowledge it because we, as Henry said, are denouncing Gerard Jones, the person, and choosing to still cover these issues. Not that we are saying they're the greatest comics we've ever read, not that we are saying even necessarily that you should read them. Um, Based on this knowledge, if you never wanted to read a Gerard Jones penned comic book for your life, I would not blame you. And for the purposes of this podcast, because there is Jewish content to be found here, Henry and I thought it was important to be able to still cover it um, while acknowledging and making that sort of separation. So again, you may land somewhere differently where you don't really feel it can be separated. And so um, if you just don't feel like you can listen to this part of the episode, feel free to skip forward a bit. Maybe we'll make a note um, that you can look in the show notes to be able to see where to skip forward. Um, We will not be talking about Gerard Jones directly again, other than to acknowledge that he was the writer, um, but we'll be strictly talking from a perspective inside the comic. With all of that said, we're going to be starting with Justice League America number 95, which was published in January 1995. Um, The good news here is that the creative team for all five issues we're looking at is the same. So I'm going to acknowledge them once and we're not going to reread it going forward. But this issue is where the wild things are and all the issues we're covering are written by Gerard Jones, penciled by Chuck Wojtkiewicz, inked by Bob Dvorak, colored by Gene D'Angelo, lettered by Clem Robbins, and edited by Brian Augustine and Ruben Diaz. So once again, we're starting with Justice League American number 95, Where the Wild Things Are. So I'm going to take us through this issue. So we're coming in where Albert, our friend Nuclon, is on a date with Fire. So Fire is a DC superhero. She's a Brazilian metahuman. She sort of has green energy fire. Think of Think human torch, but green. And she's often partnered with Ice, the duo Fire and Ice. We're coming into the scene of a bad date, then a good date, then Fire confesses she's looking to settle down. So we're sort of seeing where Albert's at. So Brandon is going to be Albert and I'm going to be Fire. 
Great. And we're reading on page 21. If you have an issue nearby, fire B, I'm really, really flattered, but I'm going to marry a Jewish girl. Who is she? I haven't met her yet. You, what is this? Some kind of arranged marriage thing? No, no, no. I mean, I don't know who I'll marry yet. I just know she'll have to be Jewish. You see, it it isn't just my happiness that matters. I owe something to my family, to my heritage. I'm like a link in a chain. I can't be the one to break that chain. So I'm sorry, B, unless you want to convert. No, no. I I hate to think how many Hail Marys I'd have to say for that. Oh, my God. Okay, that is like the funniest <laughs> line. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, kind of like how the bar mitzvah felt very real. That date felt very, like awkward date felt very <laughs> real. Right? Yeah, yeah. If anything, maybe like a little more like clear communication than most dates have, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I like when we looked at this before, Henry, I think we talked like, all the donors to birthright would be very happy with Albert Rothstein right now. They're like, (laughs) yes, we got through to him. Like the fact his connection to Judaism doesn't seem to matter. He doesn't say anything about actually like practicing Judaism or living. It's just like, he can't let his family down. He has to marry someone Jewish. And so, you know, I think the question for both of us, Henry is uh, what do we think of his reasoning? Yeah, I, I mean, I wish there had been a little more. Like, this is an actually a really good discussion. And I think they're both pretty young in this. So, I, you know, it, he might be just sort of saying the thing that his parents have told him for a long time and and not, you know, really saying what he feels. But it, it's it's really intense. Like, it's an intense conversation for what seems like a just a regular old date. Yeah, I I think I agree with you fully that like, I I just wish it was a little deeper because there's a part of me that reads this and I'm like, wow, there's something so powerful and resonant in that idea and that imagery also of like, I'm a link in a chain and I don't want to break that chain. And also just like, what's the point if it's not actually doing something and adding to your life? And I recognize this is a place where I have, I don't think it's controversial, but I have a strong opinion. And that strong opinion is like, I hope that Judaism is something that actually factors into people's lives and influences the way they they behave and causes them to be better people and that they want to marry someone Jewish. Like for me, so much about the life that I want to live and the household I want to have with a partner and the things that are central to it are centered around Judaism and Jewish practice. And so it's not just like, I want a partner who's Jewish because I don't want to break the chain. It's that I want a partner who's Jewish because I want them celebrating and invested in those same central parts of my life or, or, you know, what you might call like objects or, or the, the values of sort of utmost importance. So I like the chain piece language, but I just, I don't know. I, I don't like the fact that he seems to be saying his happiness doesn't matter as much as keeping the chain alive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I wouldn't, you know, I want, I want Al to be happy. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking, you know, I was just thinking a little bit as about this character and he always seems, I, I've actually read quite a bit of, you know, Albert Rothstein in my, you know, reading random DC stuff over the years. And 
he always feels like a very lonely character. And I always kind of chalked it up to his size that, that, you know, and like when we see those like sensitive Hulk things, you know, where Hulk's, uh, you know, everyone thinks he's a monster. And it always seems like Al is a little, is a little, is a little lonely and sad. And I just realized he's been on a lot of super teams. He's been on the Infinity Inc., the All-Star Squadron, the Justice Society of America, and the freaking Justice League. Like, I know this was a period of time when the Justice League wasn't exactly operating with the, the big seven. Yeah. But, I mean, Wonder Woman was a leader. But he he's he's on the freaking Justice League. And, like, he's, like, the only Jew on all these teams. And that's got to be super lonely. Like, I was just at a... I, most of my life is, is I'm surrounded by Jews constantly and Jews for whom Judaism is like a part of their life. Right. Yeah. And so I very rarely am like the only Jew. And I was recently somewhere where I, I was one of few and both accidentally and on purpose sought out the other ones just to sort of be with them. And I, I just realized like when you're on a superhero team, these guys, you know, they go into battle together. They have to trust each other. And I wonder if like for him, he really, it's not just about like finding a Jewish woman to marry, but he feels, you know, like sort of how Superman's the last son of Krypton. Like, you know, he's, I've never seen him interact with any, you know, with Ragman or anything like that. So I don't know. This just all occurred to me right now while we were, while you were going through the, that. Yeah, no, I hear you completely in that sort of sense. Like, I definitely know a lot of people for whom, right? Like, I think there are lots of Jews, obviously, and maybe people who listen to the show who, like, aren't as deeply engaged with their Judaism and their Judaism is something that, like, they're in a world where they are the only Jew a lot of times and it becomes this thing that might be special or might just be a factor that's kind of irrelevant and, like, whatever it is, fine and great. Um, but I, I hear what you're saying in terms of... Um, superheroes also don't really ever seem to have a dating life it, like superman is the exception not the rule where he gets to marry uh lois lane right spider-man is the exception that he sort of gets mary jane that they're outside of this a lot of times superheroes end up dating each other and partly that probably just makes sense that like it's so stressful to date a superhero to have the sort of life of of secrecy and super identity and and will they live and not and like it's probably just easier and given that he's on all these teams and there's no one jewish like it's got to be a stressful lonely thing um but it brings up a, a point that we talked about before, Henry, of I think we both feel like Al Rothstein is this like sweet kind of bumbling guy who means really well, but doesn't always do the right thing. And in this case, is he kind of a jerk for saying yes to the state at all, yeah. given that at the end he's going to pull out and say, I can't do anything. Like, what was he hoping would right. happen? Right. What was his endgame? And like, yeah, that's just I mean, this is what 20 year olds do. Right. right. Like he, and so a 19 year old. So he, he's young right. in this, I think. I think he's pretty young. Right. Um, and and like I, I want to say it's not nice. Like it's, it, right. it's it, you know, and, you know, young men do this. They go out with with people who they don't plan on anything. And like, yeah, do you have to intend to marry whomever you go out with? I don't know. I mean, but it's kind of, if he's going to bring this up, if this was important to him, then he probably shouldn't have gone out on the date to the begin with. 
Right. Like I, I tend to be very sex positive. And so I think like if the two of them were talking and they were like, we're really attracted to each other, let's see. And if this was just something physical, great. And like, they had that conversation. Zagazin, like go live and be well, have fun, do your thing. But like, I think because of the seriousness with which they both approached it and it just, it definitely reminded me I mean, I was guilty of this also. I remember being younger and going on dates with people that weren't Jewish and knowing in my head that I was like, I don't really think anything serious is going to come out of this, but like, maybe I'll have fun for some while, right? And like, sometimes that can be fine if everyone's on the same page. And sometimes that can be inadvertently hurtful to people when emotions get involved and you don't talk. And, and again, I'm not insisting on sex only within marriage or even within a relationship. But what's weird here is that they did not meet on an app, right? This is not like meeting someone on an app, going to meet with them. And then at the end of the first date saying, actually, I'm not looking for anything serious unless I have a partner who's Jewish. And then people can decide this is his teammate. This is somebody he knows already. So like, shouldn't this have come up before going on the date? Just so you know, I can't get into anything serious with someone who's not Jewish. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, yeah, they have, they're going to go on a mission in the next issue or even in this issue like that. You can't like it's not cool. <laughs> right, right. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and as said, and we'll see it in future issues and what comes up, like, you know, he's still kind of young. How old do we think he is? Like 20? he's like 20 or 21. I think when we were researching him, we determined that in these issues he is quite young. Right. So, you know, I, I, I remember being that age and not necessarily thinking as much about these issues in that sort of way. And I've worked on a college campus and seen young guys where like I, I, it fits in fully to me with like a 20 year old's behavior. And also I just would like to see more. All right. What do we have next, Henry? Next, we have Justice League America, number 109, March 1996. All that yes. Cool. So in all that, yes, it's called that because the the Justice League has encountered and and hung out with now this alien named Yaz. And on page four of this issue, Nuclon, Albert, is talking with Yaz. And Yaz is explaining how he doesn't understand human culture. I wish you were a baseball person because there's a great joke here that it's the alien of Carl Yastrzemski, whose nickname was Yaz. Also White Sox player Yasmani Grandal. So who had eight RABIs last night? <laughs> Listeners, I hope that meant something to you because it meant <laughs> nothing to me. <laughs> um, Henry, would you, will you read Nuclon's response? I'm sure. going to read Yaz here. Absolutely. All right. I'm just going to read how I'm assuming Yaz is talking. You go on a date with fire. You like her. She likes you. But you say you have to be with a woman of your own religion. What's the deal, Nuclon? It's hard to explain. I'm not especially religious, but Judaism is such a part of my identity. It makes me whole, gives me something I've always belonged to. So I like that we've, we've, we're diving in a little deeper into the belonging, yeah. right? It's very sweet. It's a very sweet thing. Right. And he's self-reflecting on what it means that Judaism is something he connects to. And, and I, you know, something about this lands a little better. Um, I like that we have this alien who doesn't get it and is asking for this explanation. And then on page five, Suddenly we get Sigrid who enters and overhearing Albert, she makes a comment that she'd like to find something like that. And so I want to say also, so Sigrid also seems to kind of have ice powers and look a little bit like ice, but 
isn't ice. She was kind of brought in the series as like, like ice as in the partner of fire died and Sigrid comes in. She's an ice maiden. Right. Oh, right. Her her name is Ice Maiden. She's sort of this replacement. Um, but we'll also acknowledge, look, it's superheroes. Everyone is drawn gorgeously, but she comes in and like she's kind of drawn purposely as this like bombshell gorgeous yeah. woman, right? Yeah. So she like walks in and she comments to Albert, like, Oh, I'd love to find something like that. And then Nuclon sort of goes like, Oh, well, if if you want, I could teach you about judaism um to which sigrid says that she's open to it she's very open to it and uh it's like kind of flirty and kind of not and then nuclon seems very surprised and then we see this panel with nuclon uh joining sigrid sitting on a table next to her and his hand is resting on the table and you can't tell because of the way the perspective is is he just putting his hand on the table or is he kind of moving it a little close to her butt and if it's that latter one it's a little uncomfortable and discomforting but um, I give him the benefit yeah. of the doubt. I think well, he's, it's just there. Yeah. So, but basically what we have is this interesting thing where, you know, to keeping in mind what you just said, Henry, you have this lonely guy whose Judaism is keeping him separate from his teammates. And all of a sudden one of these teammates comes in and says like, Oh, Judaism, that sounds really interesting. Like I'd love to learn that. And like, I can already tell the wheels are turning in Nuclon's head as he's like, oh my God, really? And like, he's imagining like, what if this beautiful woman converts and then we could date and then like, and like it's going on and maybe I'm an influence of what's going to happen next. But let's just, you know, we're talking about this one before we I dissect it too much. Maybe we should talk about the next issue also. Like we're basically getting like bits and pieces of all the different characters' stories progressing in these issues, which is why we're moving through them kind of quick. So in Justice League America number 110, which came out in April, 1996, it's titled New Devils for Old. Henry, tell us what happens next. All right, so Sigrid finds Nuclon, and we'll just read it. Brandon, why don't you be Al, and I'll be Sigrid. Um, Sigrid, I I wanted to ask you. You showed an interest in Judaism. Uh-huh. Well, you know I decided not to date B because of our different religions. You do know that's why I said no to her, right? Um, Albert? Anyway, I was wondering if you'd want to go out with me. Sure, but... Nothing serious at first, just to see. Okay, but... I think we have a lot in common, Sigrid. Well, yeah, we do have one big thing in common. We do? What's that? We both like girls. Albert? (laughs) and then it's just yeah like you get him sort of with a shocked face because keep in mind this is 1996 yeah um yeah sigrid reveals she's attracted to women and so they probably shouldn't go on a date and albert was just so like tunnel vision on this idea of she's interested in judaism she's interested in judaism we should go on a date i just had to say no to someone because she wasn't jewish like he's just focused on that so yeah i don't know henry what do you do we give him props for dropping the pretense and just be coming out with it yeah yeah he was yeah. he was fine here i i you know i don't, I don't have a problem with him here if he was it, it wasn't cool that he went on that date with b it was a little misleading but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of I'm finding him very charming in, in a sweet, yeah. like, sensitive way. Yeah, it's almost like we're seeing someone navigating the world of dating and getting a little more savvy at it each time yeah, and yeah, kind of yeah. like, oh, OK, like now yeah. I'll go this. And I will say one thing I loved about what he did is like 
thank God he asked her out right at the beginning, right when he sort of made the offer. Because can you imagine, there's a version of this where they start learning about Judaism and he's teaching her and they like meet every week and he's teaching her this and that. And she's fully viewing it as like a learning about the culture thing. And then he goes (laughs) to like make a move on her. And I'm thinking of like, the power dynamics. I'm thinking of how gross, like there's a very gross version of this that thank God he avoided and didn't do. And so like props to him from at the beginning, like it almost feels like he's like, look, I I need to be straightforward about this. Like I'm interested in you romantically and like, yeah. Something just occurred to me right now is, is it, is there anything wrong with the fact that this aspect of the story is played for the comic relief? You know, that like, Albert trying to find love slash his Judaism. Like that's the, where we get a breather from whatever adventure they're on. Like, is that okay? I think so because really it's, it's more, look, the best superhero comics I think are a combination of action adventure and human drama. And so that human drama is sometimes funny and sometimes not. And it involves romantic lives and it involves the fun things. And like, you know, the best comics are when you get great character dynamics. And so I like that we're seeing this interesting character dynamic between Albert and Sigrid, especially after you can imagine things are maybe a little uncomfortable between him and fire, given the way that things went. And so, um, yeah, I'm I'm okay with it because, you know, look, if characters aren't involved in the the superhero of the day or like the adventure of the day storyline, you should be doing character development. And this is honestly good character development. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so, again, like he's striking out and also, you know, we didn't want to dive into it too much, but uh, this is a recurring theme in, in this and the next issue. Um, there's like a lot of characters that are coming out as gay or as queer or um, in these ways. And so I think Albert also becomes the character who's like processing what that all means. And, and similarly um, because the story beats demands it, he maybe starts in a place that's not where I would love for him to start, but he ends in a place that's very accepting and loving and supportive of everybody, um, which is, you know, honestly, uh, I feel like pretty, pretty good for 1996, like kind of about as, as progressive as, as mainstream comics were. What do we get to next, Henry? Justice League America, Number 112, July 1996, The Purge, Chapter 2, To Say Goodbye. Right. So we skipped over The Purge, Chapter 1, because there was no Jewish content there. And basically, at this point, we're in the middle of an adventure. Justice League America have all been taken to space, and uh, they're all on this adventure fighting for their lives in space against, I I think, essentially an alien army. And on page 12, we see Albert with his best friend on the team, a guy uh, named Obsidian, real name Todd. And the two of them are arguing because, you know, they have one of those friendships that's both great when they're getting along and also fun to see them argue back and forth. And Albert is excited that, you know, maybe this is the future of the league, this kind of stuff. He's like enamored and so positive about this experience, despite fighting an army. He's like, maybe this is what the future of the league will do is like exploring new planets. We could be interstellar heroes Um, and obsidian. Um, who I believe is always kind of a downer of a character, claims they're going to die. This is not a time to appreciate new worlds. Um, And Albert responds with the greatest line. He says, we aren't going to die, Todd. I'll probably miss Seder, though. My parents will be disappointed. Like, readers, you um, listeners, you can't. Henry just applauded. (laughs) I was, like, cheering my hands. Like, it's so, it's such a funny line. And also, I love the idea that, like, okay, 
like this is happening in roughly March or April. Like they're out there and he recognizes how long it's going to take to get back to earth. And clearly this adventure is happening just a little bit before Passover. <laughs> Poor Albert's like, oh, I'm going to miss Seder. Mom and dad are going to be so disappointed or my mom, my mom will be upset. And also <laughs> she's the daughter of a supervillain and is always with superheroes. So like she'll get it. She'll just be <laughs> right. disappointed. Right. Fantastic. That's just a gold comedy line. That's just good. It's a good punchline right there. That's, it's that's, a great, it's a great punchline. And like, we don't need to dig into it too much. It's no. just, there's a way in which like little bits, like, like if every issue just had little lines like this, I feel like that would actually be a pretty delightful way of presenting Judaism consistently in a comic. Absolutely. All right, yeah. let's finish it up, Brandon. Great. Justice League number 113 in August, 1996, The Purge chapter three to all our company. Now, I just want to mention, this is the last issue of this series. So the next the next Justice League thing will be JLA, launched by Grant Morrison with the, with the Magnificent Seven starring. So this is like, this is literally our last chance to see anything Jewish. Yes, after this, Adam Smasher is like way too C-level of a character yeah. to be <laughs> featured in Justice League. <laughs> yes, exactly. So the league has been captured and taken to a slave market and they're on a balcony while the floor below is packed to the brim with other captured people, slaves. And Nuclon looks out at the capture and he thinks to himself, all these people all herded together like my grandparents in the camps. So we have confirmation that he's a third generation survivor, that his grandparents are uh, are Holocaust survivors. And that's it. That's the last Jewish content, right? Now, Henry, it just, yeah, that's it. It just occurred to me to ask you this. He's saying his grandparents were survivors and we know that one of his grandparents is the villain, right? Um, uh, Terry Kurtzberger, Cyclotron. Is this like, does he mean the grandparents then on his father's side, do you think? Or is there a possibility, like, is Cyclotron a golden age supervillain? Or is there a possibility that Cyclotron himself was the one who was in the camps, sort of like Magneto? How did I don't know how that didn't occur to us before, but I don't, I just thought of it right now. That's some great Jewish genealogy. I mean, it so you're saying it's possible that his grandfather, the supervillain, golden age supervillain, what was. A survivor. Now, I mean, in the, the the they were already fighting the Nazis in the 1940s, so like it would it, the timeline doesn't quite work. That's what I was asking: was right. is is Cyclotron a Golden Age character, or yeah. is he a Silver Age character that was retconned? From my memory, he is a Golden Age character. Okay, then it's probably talking about like, we don't really know too much about Nuclon's father, but I'm assuming these are his father's grandparents then, or possibly Cyclotron's wife, yeah. right? Like, it might mean that Cyclotron, like... Like, if you remember, yeah, if you remember that Roy Thomas said he appears as a, as a sort of a side character in an ultra-humanite Superman yeah, issue. Yeah. So, like, he goes back to action comics number 21 1940 got it so like wow okay he is that's a very i mean there were like four villains back then you know <laughs> so right so he's 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 an unlikely old, old it's, him. Okay. it's probably his mom's grandparents right, right but what what that means right well no it's either his dad's grandparents because like his dad's grandparents was, right. was, yeah or 
cyclotron ended up in a relationship with a Holocaust survivor, which then led to the birth of Adam Smasher's mom. Anyway, yeah, so we've got we've got that. Could have asked Jerry Ordway that. Oh, <laughs> well, um, now we have access to him, so we can right. We can up. try and follow up. <laughs> um, and look, we, we've talked about this. Like Holocaust and the slavery, I feel like are a lot of times it can be compared as a sort of oppression Olympics of of right, like who suffered, what was worse, the Holocaust or slavery. And I don't even want to enter into that conversation, but I just want to bring up again, like. The two often get compared. And Henry, you actually were bringing up a point that there's a more direct comparison because. Yeah, there was slave labor in the Holocaust, right? Like there right. were some of the camps were work camps. They weren't all death camps. Uh, you know, you could say they all were leading to the eventual demise of yeah. the Jews. But but I, that, that, that was a part of of the Holocaust. Right. Right. I still think it's a little strange that he sees people like this is literally a slave market where there's like, I don't know if they're going to be sold, but like there are collared people that are going to be used for the purposes of work and slavery in that way. So, you know, it's it's a little interesting to me that his go to comparison is the Holocaust and his grandparents in the camps. And also. Here's a nice, you know, here's a young Jewish boy who like this is the world that he does know. And he's comparing to whatever it is, is his comparison point. If, I mean, okay. So he grew up at this point, let's say he grew up in the eighties or nineties or seven, whatever, whatever period of time before right now he grew up, he wasn't at getting educated on slavery to the extent that he, he would be now. Right. The, you know, slavery of African-Americans in America Right. right. That just wasn't taught uh, to the extent that it should have been back then. And he's probably hearing these stories from his grandparents. So if he's if they're telling him a story of we were prisoners huddled together, chained, et cetera, then I could imagine that this is what he goes to. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's getting really deep into sure. you know, subtext like that, that is not said clearly at all but no but but i think if that's we're like going deep into it like and i wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt that's probably where where i would go with True. that so with these five issues we just see you know a few different consistent references to his judaism right we see it in coming up in relation to his dating life the way he interacts with teammates the role judaism does play in his life the references he makes it's clearly a known part of who he is um and i just wanted to ask henry as we're closing up um for me this was all the usual thing of me diving into research and finding a new Jewish character or, you know, new to me Jewish character and finding out like, oh my gosh, here's an issue with Jewish content. Here's an issue with Jewish content. But for you, this is not your first time reading these issues, right? You actually yeah. uh, were reading it in the 90s. So can you just, I think you wanted to say something about your memories. I of, just, I don't get yeah. it. Like, you know how like when we've done Marvel characters and you're like, I don't remember this. I read these X-Men issues. And same, like I read... Infinity Inc. I was about 10 years old and someone lent me all of Crisis on Infinite Earths and like a ton of Infinity Inc. issues that were pre-crisis. And so I read all the, the stuff. And then of certainly the 90s, when at the height of my collecting comics in 1996, I was definitely reading this series. I mean, I remember, I don't 
I remember it kind of trailing off, not ending in like a big way, but I just don't remember any of these stories. I was a fan of Fire and Ice. They they play very heavily into the Death of Superman story. I, I love this version of the league, this this sea level league, and I just don't remember Nuclon being Jewish. And I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's good that we're doing this show to educate people that Albert Rothstein is Jewish. That's exactly what I wanted to say. Is it makes me wonder when you're not looking at it and kind of hammering home and saying, this character is Jewish. Isn't that awesome? I wonder to the degree to which even Jewish kids reading these comics, it just flies over their heads. And I think, I think it, it adds to the thesis that we have of the importance of representation and why I think we're doing this to a degree that like, we want people to be aware of it because it'd be so easy to read this and not necessarily suddenly like look up and realize, wait, there's my life happening in these comics. We have one last issue to cover. We're moving, we're jumping forward a decade or so. So Henry, what are what are we going to be looking at as we start to bring this to a close? Yeah, we're going to look at Justice League Unlimited, number 16, December 2005. So Justice League Unlimited, the series, was a spinoff or just the comic adaptation, not even adaptation. It was the comic series set in the universe of the show, the, the cartoon, Justice League Unlimited. It was just sort of a, it, it, it was a continuation of it after that. Show. Right. So just throwing that in another way. So listeners are all caught up. You may, if you grew up in the nineties, remember the very heavily stylized Bruce Tim animation of Batman, the animated series, which was sort of like a cartoon revolution along with the X-Men series on Fox, but Bruce Tim's animation, right? It influenced the entire world where we got a Superman animated series that was in that style. And then a justice league animated series, and then justice league unlimited all in that animation style. And then as you're saying, Henry, this comic book is, the comic book version of that whole Bruce Tim influenced animated style of yeah. DC superheroing. Yeah. Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, uh, primarily. Yeah. So this is called Smashing Through the Snow. I guess you can guess based on the month and the name of the story, what kind of story this is. Written by Adam Beechin, penciled by Carlo Barberi, inked by Jim Royal, colored by Heroic Age, lettered by Travis Lanham and edited by Tom Palmer Jr. Yeah, so we open up immediately on page one on a splash page of um, a fairly small, compared to Adam Smasher's Supergirl, holding mistletoe over Adam Smasher's head and giving him a kiss on the cheek and wishing him a Merry Christmas. On the very next page, we get Adam Smasher then saying, uh, Supergirl... Not that I want you to take back that kiss or anything, but, you know, I'm Jewish. And listeners, Henry is shaking his head because we both share the frustration that, like, being wished Merry Christmas when people know you're Jewish. Like, it's one thing when I go to the store and the random checkout person wishes me a Merry Christmas because they don't know me from Adam. Ha-ha. Um, <laughs> uh, and they don't, they just don't know who I am. And so they, they say it, you know, and they have no idea what my, my background is. That can sometimes be frustrating also. But, but that's one thing. But a teammate who works so closely with them and like we just covered all these issues that show that clearly Adam Smasher's Judaism is like a relevant and forward-facing aspect of who he is <laughs> that people are aware of. Like the fact that she wished him Merry Christmas, it's so frustrating. It's upholding Christian uh, hegemony. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it, uh, also, 
Supergirl is from Krypton. Kara Zor-El is from Krypton and is old enough to remember what her life was like on Krypton. She wasn't celebrating Christmas on Krypton. Whatever seasonal solstice holiday that celebrated the birth of Rao, maybe they celebrated that, but she, she wouldn't care about Christmas. And like, this takes me back to like Superman stories always, I mean, we're going to get Christmas stories in the DC universe. It just happens, but she shouldn't be the, the one running, you know, I see star girl is in, in the, you know, the next panel, it would be one thing if she ran up to him, you know, Cassie ran up to him and gave him a kiss, but like super girl. What? <laughs> right, right. Right. Why, why would the, why would the alien from another planet come wish the Jewish superhero Merry Christmas? My daughter, you are going to, as Krypton is exploding, we are going to send you off as the last, girl of Krypton, please take after your baby Kal-El when you get there. And don't forget to always celebrate whatever winter solstice holiday the majority <laughs> of people in that world celebrate. Yeah, look, we're going to get, we're going to continue to see some panels that are frustrating in this way. And what I'm realizing is just like, these stories are very clearly written to their audience, which is a mainstream American audience with a default assumption of Christianity or at least Christmas celebration, as opposed to written from like character first, which if it's character first, right? Supergirl is not celebrating it. She's definitely not wishing it to, to um, Adam Smasher. And I just want to bring up, you know, I was going to say this to the end of the issue, but part of what's frustrating is like, this issue kind of feels like a rehash of the beats we already saw. Oh, there's Adam Smasher having a somewhat awkward romantic relationship with a superhero teammate who he finds attractive and he points out the fact that he's Jewish and that's why it makes, right? Like his comment of like, not that I want you to take the kiss back. Like it's kind of like, oh, there's Al Rothstein being awkward again and wanting to date a teammate, maybe kind of, and flirting in this way. And then like, but I can't because I'm Jewish. It's just, it feels reductive and repetitive in a weird way versus those issues that we were covering before. On page three, the, uh, the frustration continues, unfortunately, as, uh, Firestorm, his other teammate, then says, what's the story, Adam Smasher? You don't exactly seem filled with ho, ho, ho. Which, again, like, maybe he's not filled with the ho, ho, ho because he's Jewish. Like, that's so insulting to him. Like, what is Firestorm's problem? He doesn't know that Al is Jewish. And let's just say for a second, he, well, no, let's not face it for a second. How does he not know? Like Firestorm has been on the T on the justice league since the 1980s. Like right, right. this is, he should know that. And he's a young guy. Firestorm is a college kid. I mean, Oh, and Firestorm's other half of his personality is a canonically <laughs> Jewish character. Yeah. It's... In a previous, in a previous episode that, that you know, Firestorm has two people in his head. He's sort of the body of Ronnie Raymond, but also he has in his head Dr. Martin Stein, who literally in an episode of Flash said Kadima forward. So yeah, <laughs> not only that, but like identifies the fact that he's a rabbi and he's officiating their wedding. Like he officiates the Flash's wedding because he's a rabbi, right? Yes. In, that, in that show. So like, granted, these are all different versions of the characters, but like, it's a very Jewish character. Yeah. Like Dr. Weird. Martin Stein wasn't there being like, 
oh god this is this is such an awkward christmas office christmas party i wish there were yeah. some jews i could go talk to you know right like- <laughs> right well it's about to get more awkward because firestorm is trying to give this like why don't you have this holiday spirit uh and here is adam smasher's response I guess since my uncle passed away, this time of year has been tough for me. I mean, with Hanukkah and all, we used to spend it with him every year, sort of a family thing. And boom, like that just hits the sort of like, here's the name of the actual holiday I celebrate. Here's the thing that I should be involved in. And also I used to celebrate it with my family, but my uncle died. And so now it's like this sauce. And I have to say, listeners, you probably know, because I've talked about it before, my dad died in 2018 and he died on the second night of Hanukkah, which means his yard, like every year when Hanukkah comes up and it's only, you know, this will be the third year now. There's that like ingrained in me childhood excitement of like, oh, Hanukkah, like fun, Hanukkah, it is a fun holiday. And then all of a sudden like, oh, right, my dad died at this time of year. And like, it becomes a bit of a bummer. It's hard to, to tap into the joy. And so Right. Like I completely identify with Albert in this case, who's just saying like this holiday gathering is not fun anymore because my uncle is dead. So like no offense, but screw you, Firestorm, like you're inappropriate twice over. How poorly do you know your teammate that you don't know that he's like mourning the loss of an uncle and not celebrating Christmas holiday? Yeah. And in those kind of moments, like, you know, that like Firestorm will feel bad of kind of like, but good. (laughs) <laughs> teach him a lesson right right Ronnie raymond this is not really a, a jewish aspect but we just have to include it because i know that it's oh! gonna it's gonna upset us on page four then hawk girl the other alien member of the team reveals that on her home planet christmas time is also a period of remembrance not that they celebrate christmas but that coincidentally at the exact same time of year there is a holiday that the people on her planet also celebrate okay first of all if it's on another alien planet if it's on another planet that means it's light years away it's really far right this is new thanagar is not like where mercury is or something it's in another solar system another galaxy so what does this time of year even mean it would mean that they would have to have a sun that is rotated around the same amount of time that that Earth does like because they don't have December 25th on Thanagar, right? None of the planets that are closest to us, even in this solar system, have (laughs) the same length of year, right? Right. It takes them a different amount of time. What do you mean at this time? Like, why would the Earth's rotation or why would the Earth's revolution around the sun influence time of year on any other planet? I mean, for all we know, Thanagar doesn't revolve around a sun, right? Maybe it, like, sure, sci fi, why not? Yeah, right, like. But all, but on this time, like, what were they thinking here? That doesn't even make sense. They were thinking that this was a holiday special and it didn't really count. And they were just <laughs> banging something cheap and quick out. Yeah, right. And uh, it doesn't really count also because it's not even in, you know, comics canon. It's sort of like a right. cartoon. But even so, I mean, come on. Yeah, it's like, listeners, I hope that you're enjoying. I feel like sometimes you come to listen for the deep Jewish content. Sometimes you come to listen for the comic geekery. And sometimes you listen uh, for me and Henry to become Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets and just be like crotchety old men complaining about everything. Uh, 
So anyway, there's not really much Jewish content in the rest of the story. Certainly not explicit. The one implicit thing I'll point out is that by the end, uh, by like pages 1920, you find out this whole story is about a villain named Gerder who's escaped from prison and is causing chaos. And you end up finding out that he's just trying to see his son. And Adam Smasher, you know, fights him along with others. And he ultimately ends up Although he captures Gerder and sends him to prison, he finds Gerder's son and brings the son to jail to visit his father. And when his teammates are like, why would you do that? He's a supervillain. He says that he recognizes that Gerder is a person who made wrong choices somewhere, but still a person. Everyone should have a chance to be with family on the holidays, which is just like speaking of what Henry and I were saying, of what a sweet character. Like that to me feels so much like you can feel the loss of his uncle coming through when he says everyone deserves to be a family on the holidays and you can feel his outsiderness, right? Like it's only as I think this is purely my read. This is implicit now, but my read is that only as the Jewish outsider character who is constantly being wished Merry Christmas by his teammates that are so caught up in this holiday, they don't even realize it's inappropriate to wish it to him. He's the only one that recognizes like, actually, if this time of year really is about things like family and goodwill and spreading light to others then like that includes the supervillain who also wants to be with his family and i just like what i love about this issue is the way that it sort of redeems that soft gentleness of adam smasher which again feels to me there's just there's something about it that feels very jewish or very informed by jewish thoughts there's this aspect of you know the possibility of teshuva that the villain girder might be able to do because if you know i'm thinking of rebbe nachman and rebbe nachman has this teaching where he says that there can't ever be a completely wicked person because if you look at them you should be able to find just one good point and if you concentrate on that good point you can make that good point expand to where it's like all the bad things kind of disappear and and they almost get reborn and recreated in this good way and like i see see Adam Smasher find the Nikuda Tova, the good point within Girder. And so, you know, it's not explicit, but after that disappointing opening stuff where Adam Smasher just has to say like, hey, I'm Jewish, don't celebrate Christmas, or like, don't wish me Merry Christmas, don't put a mistletoe around. Like, I just love that the story is so closely hewn to his perspective and his idea of like, everyone should have a chance to be with family. It's just beautiful to me. Yeah. And it, it, it's I'm I'm glad you pointed out that it's it just shows how he's he's sweet, he's a sweet yeah. guy. Yeah, he's a sweet little mensch. And I mean that's it, Henry. That's our uh, that is Adam Smasher. That's we've not seen any real Jewish content from him since 2005 you know the the tale in 2005 so it's been 16 years at this point. Um, I would love for him to pop back up and have Jewish content, which feels like this is becoming a pretty common refrain for the end of episodes. But, you know, overall, thinking over everything we've saw, what do, you, what do you think of Adam Smasher? What do you think of his Jewishness? These were some of the most unique Jewish content that we've seen. You know, we've seen some classic Jewish ritual. We've seen mostly Christmas Hanukkah related things. Um, we've seen like deep biblical things, but this was where you just got to see like a young Jewish guy talking about his Judaism. And I don't think we've really seen that this way yet. Yeah. Like what happens when, and I kind of, you know, as much as we sort of said I, I that I wanted there to be a deeper reason for him to linger, link to his Judaism. I, I kind of like that. We just see someone where Judaism isn't a part of who they are, but like, 
he's not the son of a rabbi like Moon Knight is, and he's not, you know, like the most deeply engaged, but he's figuring it out. Like I could easily see a really lovely young adult comic or just a comic that continues. Like if they did, you know, uh, you and I are both big fans of the series of Batgirl where she became Batgirl of Burnside, which sort of remade her as a bit of a hipster. Um, I believe, unfortunately, some of those creators are once again, speaking of separating art and artists, not, not like the best care people at this point, but, um, but, you know, like if, if we did a sort of like modern hip version of, of infinity Inc. Right. I would love to see Albert just sort of dealing with what it means to be a young Jewish guy in 2021, 2022, and like figuring it out. Right. That's what I like the most is that like, this is, this is the first time we've really seen a Jewish character who uh, rather than being sort of secure in their Judaism or having uh, uh, rejected their Judaism or having a difficult relate, like he's just in the process of figuring it out and he seems really joyful about it. Absolutely. Brandon, I, I, I like this guy. I I would love to see him. He's a good ensemble character. And if he's going to be the token Jew on a team, that's okay with me. He's like, a, he's a good one. And if we ever somehow got a story where he interacted with Ramban and Ramban could like teach him a little, I'm sure he'd be like, whoa, and like I mean, blow I, his mind. What yeah. that guy would do. I mean, I, I, I was just thinking like, is it so far-fetched, which by the way, I think should be a Yiddish word for fetched. But, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but is it so far-fetched? Like, what if there was like a funny story where Harley Quinn put together a team of Jewish heroes and like you know, totally. Harley or like because it would be such a ragtag, like random diff, like eclectic group of heroes, you know, it'd be Harley, Ragman. Um, Ramban, Ramban, and Adam Smasher. Right, and then if we wanted to go into the future, we could get Colossal Boy. Yeah, yeah. and Colossal and then, Boy. That would be right. you, know, you could see her like you know finding a time machine, like let's go get Colossal Boy. And know? like Henry, we could make this an issue that responds to what we are always frustrated by. Like make it Christmas time where there's something that like something impacted Christmas trees where like. Starro has released like Starro stars on every Christmas tree. So everyone who celebrates Christmas is being taken over. And the only people left to save the day are the Jewish heroes who didn't have the trees. And then Harley puts like this team of like ragtag Jewish heroes together to save the day. And it would be, it could be, I mean, that would be a, you know, the, the one Hanukkah story we get yeah, in a yeah, DC yeah. holiday special, that would be great. You know, like, especially cause it would be great to see Ramban back and he has a suicide squad connection. And, you know, I'm watching the suicide squad and I'm seeing the scene that John Ostrander is literally in. And I'm just like, please bring Ramban into the next movie, <laughs> but Harley could do that. So yeah, yeah. That out, well, just an idea. Well, if any writers idea. listen to this, right, we'll we'll pitch it and encourage it. Well, really fun getting to talk about Adam Smasher, a.k.a. Nuclon, a.k.a. Albert Rothstein. And of course, we want to thank the great Jerry Ordway for spending a lot of time with us. We're going to figure out a way to get um, a lot more of the interview to you. But I just want to take a moment and plug some of the things he's doing. You could see him do some covers on current DC books. So the new Batman 89 has a variant Jerry Ordway cover. Um, you can see his creator-owned comic book, Proton. And of course, he's on Ordsterd's Random Thoughts on Google Blogs. And lastly, you can check out his podcast called The Power Cosmic, which is like the coolest name for a comic podcast I, I could think of. 
So, so good. That's where you can find Jerry Ordway. And although we've disappeared and we're, we've now returned, we hope that you're celebrating our return on whatever platform you're listening to us. Um, we just want to say you can find us in the coming uh, weeks. We're going to have more new episodes coming out. We're not entirely sure what we're doing. It's going to be something fun and special, though. We've got some exciting ideas. We want to wish all of you Shana Tova Mituka, a very happy, sweet, and healthy new year. And until next time, I'm Brandon Bernstein. I'm Henry Bernstein. No, no relation. relation. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Jewish Comics Pod, or you can email us at Jewish Comics Podcast at gmail.com.